Hey there, welcome to another episode of Investor Types. What we're talking about today is investing into Australian small cap investments or small cap stocks. Um, typically not your big names that you might see on the side of buildings, your, typical, your smaller names, but are still very well renowned around Australia. And who I'm talking with today is I'm talking to Paul Biddle from Celeste Fund Manage- Funds Management. Paul, thanks for coming on, mate. Pleasure, mate. What do I know? How did a country boy like yourself end up in the big smoke in Sydney, now running a, a fund manager that invests hundreds of millions of dollars of people's money? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, look, I mean, as an eight-year-old, I washed trays in the back of my dad's butcher shop. So, you know, from the country, third-generation uh, uh, butcher, you know, <laughs> I, um, I, I got an accounting degree and I came to the city to get an accounting degree and I met my wife, who's also from the country, and we never went home. And I really, I grew up in an environment where we never had a lot. So yeah. for me, protecting money was a really important component of, of, of what you needed to do if you wanted to grow wealth. Yep. And so naturally, I kind of fell into finance and finance-related uh, roles. And uh, you know, I was a stockbroker for a while, and then literally for the last twenty years, I've been a fund manager, looking at that sort of more exciting end, the small cap market, mm-hmm. which is um, you know we think about it as the big end. You think NAB and Rio Tinto and BHP, yep. and and that's the top hundred companies mm-hmm. in Australia. We look at the companies under the top 100. So when you think about it, size-wise, that's probably about three, 3.5 billion, which is still a big number mm. of market cap. Yep. But it goes all the way down to the little guys, down into uh, 100, 200, 300 million. And it's, it's, it's quite an exciting place. It's, a, it's still a bit wild west, but, but you know, <laughs> um, it's fun. That's yeah. a big gap, 3.5 billion to 100 million, less than 100 million. Yeah. So that's a market capitalization. Could you tell us how do you work out market capitalization and what is it? Yeah. Market capitalization is used to essentially describe size. And I think about it like this let's say you and I had a business mm-hmm. and it was a construction business. Yep. You had a share, I had a share. And let's say the shares traded at a dollar each. Well, you'd take the $1 share price, we've got two shares, you multiply it by the, the share price, yep. two the value of two. Let's say the share price goes up to 10. Well, you've got a share and I've got a share, so we've got two shares. We multiply it by two, by the 10, and it's 20 it's bucks, 20 bucks yep. right? So when you think about, when people look at share prices, they go, oh, the share price is $80. Must be expensive. Mm-hmm. That's not the way to think about it. Mm-hmm. What you say is, well, how many shares are on issue? Because if there's only one share on issue at $80, it's only valued at 80. Yep. If there's a million shares on issue at $80, it's worth 80 million. Yeah. So share prices aren't a gauge of size. You need to know how many shares are on issue, mm-hmm. multiply that by the share price, and that gives you the market capitalization. So that's, that's a good way to, do, to think about size mm-hmm. and opportunity, because you know that the banks are over 200 Billion dollars of market capitalization. Yep. So a hundred million dollars is really a small company. Yeah. And and the opportunity in the smaller companies exists because they will grow earnings faster than big caps. Mm-hmm. They have the opportunities for growth that big caps don't have. Yeah. And in smalls, the wonderful thing is, if you think about the big cap market, mm-hmm. there's four big banks, there's a big telco, there's a big. Um, uh, um, Infrastructure stock, there's there's two resourced companies. If you add up the top 12 stocks in the Aussie market, it's 50% of the index. So the top 12 stocks make up 50% of the top 100. 
So you don't have any diversity. No. Right? If you do that for smalls, the top 12 make up 17. So the opportunity set to have the ability to invest in industries that don't exist in the top end of town. Mm -hmm. You have unique opportunities to invest in small cap companies that are growing, that have products that don't exist. And the example there is, if you want to own a company that has exposure to billing systems, you can't do that. It's not in the top 100. No. But there's a stock called Hanson that's in the small cap market. Mm -hmm. If you want exposure to financial transactions and you think, well, I don't want to own the banks, you can invest in the smaller, smaller cap stocks. And we're going to talk a little bit about big multiple stocks versus smalls, but a really great stock that can invest in the financial services space is, if you think about it, you go, last year, you, me, everyone here in Australia had 335 transactions that were electronic, where you beeped your card. Yep. 70% of transactions are electronic. Mm -hmm. So that means good old school cash is still 30%. Yeah. But if you think about still. it, yeah, right. still, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, but if you think about it, 30 is gonna go to five something like that. So everyone's gonna beat their card more, everyone's gonna do a lot more electronic transactions. You don't have to pick the winner, whether it be MasterCard, Visa card, Afterpay, Zip money. You step back from that and you go, who will give me exposure to just transaction processing? Well, there's a great company with a market cap of $500 million, $100 million worth of revenue, $20 million worth of earnings. It's called Integrated Research stock code IRI. Mm -hmm. So it's got this massive tailwind of people beeping more and they charge per beep to people like the systems run on, uh, who, well, let's go through them. Woolies, Coles, NAB, ANZ, Telstra, JP Morgan, Barclays, Visa, MasterCard, you name it. Yep. So these are the companies that you might see as the up and comers. They generally yeah. haven't been around for 50, 100 years, but they've got new technology that's adapting with the times where you'd expect massive revenue growth and good profit growth, yeah. provided they're managed well. Correct. And Correct. provided they are actually a good company. But being a small cap doesn't mean it's just started. I mean, the thing about small caps is, these are names that you would, you would think about and, and know. Breville, the small electrical appliance has been in the portfolio for 15 years. IRI, the integrated research that we just spoke about, started in 1988. Mm. They're not fly by night, just got no. started. Yep tech companies that fell out of somewhere that we go, great, this is an opportunity, buy it. That's they good. are long duration companies. ARB, been manufacturing four wheel drive parts since the 70s. Mm. You know, these are high quality industrial businesses that have good management, good board, great runway of opportunity to grow, and will always grow faster than the big cap space. Yeah, so you've got, you got so many different industries that you look at, yeah. and when you assess a company, I guess, a lot of people when they start investing into stocks, they focus on these companies, these maybe up-and-comers that are good quality businesses that aren't too expensive where they can buy a share for yep. between $5 and $30. Yeah, yeah. And what do you see as the three main fundamentals that you look at when you are buying a company yep. and wanting to invest your money into these small cap companies? Yeah, yeah, and that's a great point because you shouldn't listen to what your mate tells you at the pub. No. Or the cab driver. I've made that mistake. <laughs> <laughs> cab drivers are smart. It depends on how late, drivers, it, depends on how late it is. <laughs> but but the, the key things that we think about, and we think about it like a stool, you should always think about it like a stool. If a stool doesn't have three legs, it falls over. Mm. It's like investment. If it doesn't have the three things that you need, it falls over, don't buy it, right? You might speculate in it and put 10 bucks that you're prepared to lose in. That's different to investing. Investing is creating long-term wealth that is sustainable, that you pass down to generations, mm. and that is investing. 
We think about it like this, board and management. You look at the board and the management. You look at the board first, because the board appoint the management, the board pay the management, and the board hold management accountable to the strategy. And then you look at the management and you say, are they capable and able to run this business? Have they run businesses in the past where they have been truthful, executed on the strategy, and delivered for investors? People are vital, because the fish rots from the head. And if they're the culture and the people aren't right, don't invest. Mm. Then we look at the accounts. So we look at the accounts, the the P&L, sorry, profit and loss, the balance sheet, and the cash flow. And we look at the accounts because the accounts have to be constructed in either a conservative or aggressive manner. Mm. When we look at them, because you can... A co- when you toss a coin, never falls on its edge. Right? <laughs> it's heads or tails. They're either conservative or they're aggressive. Yeah. We want to buy stocks that have got conservative accounts, yeah. where they have assets and land and buildings on balance sheet, mm-hmm. where they have conservative assumptions about the asset values, where they convert a lot of cash to what we call the good guys, the shareholders. Yeah, where, yeah. Where, and so you want to look at the accounts and you want to understand them. And then... and. If that leg doesn't stand and the management are great, don't invest yeah. because that's another vital leg. The third is ultimately you've got to understand the industry. Yeah. And part of that is as humans, we all think we can understand everything. You've got to know your limitations and you've got to look at the industry and you've got to understand, will this produce long-term, durable, sustainable cash flows? What are the volatilities that happen in that industry? What are the competitors like? What will, what will happen in terms of pricing? And what are the things that I don't know? Mm. And I think it's really vital because when you buy a share, and a lot of people will talk about what PE, let's use that for example. And a PE is what's called a price to earnings. So if you think about it like this, if the price is a dollar and the company earns 10 cents a share worth of earnings, well then it's a dollar divided by 10 cents. So mm-hmm. the PE is 10. Mm-hmm. So if you, the higher the PE, traditionally, the more expensive the stock is deemed to be. Yep. But if I think about it a different way, if I say to you, you're going to pay a PE of 10, that means that you think you understand what the industry will be like for the next 10 years. Because you're hoping that company makes 10 cents a year or more for the next 10 years for you to get your money back. Yep. So if you pay a PE of 20, you're saying, I think I know what the industry will look like in 20 years. So the higher the PE, the more expensive the stock is, the more you have to have a crystal ball and look to the industry and understand what it might be. Yeah, and try and predict where they're gonna get their growth from because their only way to reduce that is to make more profit, more Correct. earnings. Correct, so they may grow earnings and actually what you might find is that in seven years you get your money back. But seven yep. years is still a long time. That's your child going from year seven to year 12 and first year uni. Yeah, right? long time. Long Scary time. time. <laughs> this big to this big, you yeah. know? Um, still asking for money, but you know. <laughs> but, so what we try and do is, if you understand the nature of the industry and you look at the accounts and see whether the accounts reflect what you are seeing in the industry and the cash conversion mm. and the management and the board are good, you've got three legs to your stool. The yep. stool will stand. And then the last piece to the puzzle is, what is it worth? But we don't get to what is it worth 
unless the three legs exist. They're the three key points. And then, then we go, okay, thinking what we know about the industry, thinking about the management and the execution and the strategy and where they're gonna take the business, mm. what could this be worth and how do we value it? But I think that knowing the industry part is such a vital point because you get these market darlings that come up, these names that everyone talk about that have essentially shot up in stock price. Yeah. So people have made a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. But then you get these people that might work in the construction space, mm. start investing in a financial tech company, yep. and they think they're gonna make a lot of money. Yeah. But then there's a lot of volatility and they're paying these enormous prices at yeah. a, a high PE multiple. And yeah. what that means is, as you said, they're expecting profit to remain the same for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah. Um, what do you see the difference between I guess these market darlings and these secure secure companies that aren't trading on high multiples. Yeah, uh, look, it, go, it goes back to my capital protection mentality and look, it's ingrained in, in who I am. But I like to buy companies where I believe there is a reasonable valuation, where the business has earnings, sorry, generates revenues, yeah. has a containable cost base and makes a profit. Yeah. The profit converts to cash, the cash pays a dividend. Yeah, because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Cash matters, right? And so, if as an investor I'm getting a dividend stream, I'm generating a yield, because they pay tax, you're getting a franking component. Yep. So I'm getting a return to own that stock. Yeah, it really is a long-term approach, isn't it? Absolutely. And yeah. then what you do is you want to own a company that can grow revenues, mm -hmm. contain its cost base, and make more money than it did last year, and then your dividend will grow. Yeah. But equally the share price will grow because that company is making more money than it used to and the share price is higher. So you get your dividend yield, it's grossed up for franking, you get a capital component and you're making an annualised return. And that works for investors who are new to the game because they can take the cash flow and reinvest into other stocks and create more wealth. Mm -hmm. It works for retirees who want an income stream to live on. And so as an investor, that's what I want. Yep. If I buy a, a stock that's conceptual in nature, um, startup, losing money, growing market share, trying to achieve market penetration. I've got some risks. Mm. The risk is I don't know what the industry is and if the PE we talked about before is say 50, that means that I would need to understand what I think the industry will be today to when I turn 100. Okay? Yeah. So <laughs> that's the context you need to think about. But in between, for the next five, possibly 10 years, mm. It isn't making any money. So that, that I spoke about where the revenue through cost becomes profit and cash and I get a dividend, you don't get that. Yeah. So what you get is you get a punt on what the industry might look like later in the future. Mm -hmm. And that's risky. Yeah. You know, and, and it's a little like you think about it as if the PE of 50 falls to 30, Okay, you've lost 40% of your money. That's a lot of money. Right? Yeah. And that ain't ever coming back. No. Right? And so, because someone says, oh, it's worth 50, why can't someone say it's worth 40? And what's happened is, it started out at 20, and everyone went, oh my goodness, this is, this is the, the greatest thing since finance. Like, Afterpay is a great example. Yeah. It started, the greatest thing since finance, it's gonna revolutionize the industry. It's actually a really good product. So some of these companies have good products. Yeah but it goes back to what do you pay? And I would always use that term. When you go into a cake shop, you look in the window and you think, that is a nice cake. And then you say, well, what do you say? You say, what does it cost? How much is that cake? Yeah. Right? You don't go, 
that's a nice cake. I'll have it. Right? <laughs> it all comes at a cost. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So you've got to ask, how much am I paying for high PE stocks? And what is the risk? And I think that's really important because some, you've got to be very careful that you don't just get on the bandwagon and want to own these stocks because a lot of people have made money out of it. You need to remember that long-term wealth is created out of capital preservation. Yeah. So if you lose your capital, it's really hard to get back and it's difficult and you've got to then invest again and start and build that wealth back to where it was before you start to grow again. Yeah, I love that. So it's, yeah. it's not always about the, the price. Just because the price has gone up doesn't mean it will continue to run. Most likely, it won't continue to run. So when you look at the fundamentals, you look at the reports, you understand the industry. Yeah. And as I said before, someone that's in the construction or property space investing in a financial tech company might not be right. Um, but let's say someone in the construction and tech space or the construction and property space yeah. might invest into a company that's in that space they understand. Yeah. Um, so let's look at a company like Reese. Mm -hmm. Have you done any due diligence on Reese and what do you believe to be the company? Oh, look, Reese is actually since um, the, the strategy in Celeste has been running for 15 years. Yeah. Frank and I have been there 15 years and, and, and Reese has been in our portfolio the whole 15 years. Right. Um, and Reese continues to be an important part of our portfolio. I think the thing is tangible, viable businesses can continue to find ways to grow. Mm -hmm. Reese is a fantastic business. Reese is 70 plus percent owned by the Wilson family here in Melbourne. Mm. Um, they have created significant long-term wealth over those years. They have tailored their business to target the construction industry to be absolutely best in class. They own a vast bulk of, their, of, their, of the Reese sites you see. Right, that, so they that, own the land as well as operate the business. Own the land, operate the business. They've been really innovative in terms of putting in front of shop really innovative design centres to actually bring to market products that they manufacture themselves, mm -hmm. along with key suppliers, but actually giving the plumber the capability to be able to pick up at back of shop everything they need, make a couple of deliveries a day to site. And this is something that somebody in the construction industry would go, I like those guys. I can yeah. get all the stuff there. They're easy to deal with. Um, they're online. I can order online and get my bills paid yeah. online. I go. I send the, the client round to the front and say, what is it you want? What is it yeah. you like? How, makes my life easier. I know that my business used to buy from China. Now they've come back to buying from Reese. Yeah, yeah. You can see that happening. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing about it is it's about life. Life is about relationships. Yeah. Life is about having trusted relationships with people who you believe will help you add value to your life, make your life easier. Yeah. Reese is one of those counterparties where, you know, I love it. I, I, I wander around and I see Reese makes my life easier. Reese, you know, <laughs> tra don't, don't trust an non-licensed plumber. Yeah. You know, I love that. My, my kids drive by and they go, Dad, there's another Reese. And They're I think, everywhere. you know what? Yep. That is a business that's been built on service and delivery and 450 plus stores around Australia and they've crushed their competitors because yeah. their competitors have been big organisations that have had multiple different business lines and, and plumbing and plumbing trade supplies, refrigeration, HVAC, have been a secondary part. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Wilsons are co-investors. You're investing with the Wilson family. Right. Yeah. So when you're investing with a family and that's where most of their money is, you expect mm -hmm. them to do well. And that comes down to their management team. Yep. They're going to implement the right management team. And this is any business in small caps yep. that you want to invest in. And getting to know managers of different funds 
is is hard. Yeah, it's not publicly available knowledge. Or you no. can look at where they worked and what they did, and if they blew a company up or not. <laughs> but even understanding their trajectory for the future, you can read the company reports all you want. Yeah. But unless you're going out and speaking to these people, you get then you get to really understand who they are and what they do yeah. and what they want to do. Yeah. So when it comes down to assessing the management of a company, how important is it, and how do you do it? Because I know. You go pretty full on when you yeah. ask these questions and you start to really analyze what they're doing and yeah. I love chatting to you about it. But yeah. So how do you do it? What, what do you do when you talk to management of companies? Yeah. Uh, look, again, it's all about, I believe, sitting and asking reasonable and fair questions and seeing what the response is. Yep. This is a very different response if you ask me a question <laughs> yeah. to a question where I'm happy to talk to you and, and, and explain things to you. Body language is important. Yeah. But I think... Um, Trying to understand, and, and I would argue, how do, how do you get paid? Mm -hmm. What is your objective? And what do you think you can do? They're important questions because that will tell me where do you think the business can be? What are the opportunities? What are the risks? Because ultimately everybody has bills to pay and kids to go to school. And, and, and so people want to get paid well for what they do. Mm -hmm. So asking questions around the remuneration, uh, how that works, what you get rewarded for. But I think it's also asking legitimate questions about their business, how they run their business, what they see as the risks, what are the opportunities. And this is stuff that, that and you're right, it's not that the information is non-public and it's um, inside information. It's information where you're helping me to understand your business better so that I can then put your business in the context of understanding the industry, understanding your competitors and seeing where the opportunities are. and and. I think it's important. We don't only just chat to the CEO, we mm -hmm. chat to the CFO, which is the Chief Financial Officer. We try to chat to people further in the business. So it might be a state manager, it might be, when I go to Reese, when my wife was trying to buy a bathtub, I sat down and chatted to the lady and said, you know, how are things, what are you doing? Like, I think Frank had a plumber come to his house, so we followed him around a little bit and asked him where he bought <laughs> his stuff from. Yeah. So we're always researching a company or companies we own or opportunities, because that's, that's vital. We just we live investing. Mm -hmm. We also chat to boards, we chat to non-executive directors, we chat to chairmen. We chat to them with the reason of asking, how do you see the strategy versus how do you see the strategy? Is what you're telling me what you're telling me? And is there 80% commonality? And if there's 20 different here, where's the difference? And is that gonna cause me a problem? Do you think you get paid fairly? Do you think you pay him fairly? Because so much of the interaction is people. Mm -hmm. Companies are just an aggregation of people trying to achieve an outcome. So you've got to remember people have different biases. Um, you know, you might have a CEO who thinks, oh, I can do no wrong, I'm the best person in the world. That generally is a bit of a risk. Yep. Um, you might have a CEO who's very quiet and understated and she says, you know, I think I can execute on the process and smashes it. That's a great CEO mm -hmm. to have. but they're probably pretty quiet and the share price might not reflect the value in that company for a period of time. Yep. So it's about understanding the people, mm -hmm. it's about understanding the business and it's about asking questions, which I'm really good at. Why? Why, why, did, why does that happen? Yeah, they mustn't like you when you do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I think there's a healthy respect. I, th yeah. I think they recognise that as an investor, we look at lots of management teams, lots of companies, lots of industries, and there's things that we can bring to a conversation yep. when we're talking about how they're evolving their growth strategy. Quite often they'll say to me, well, what do you think? What do you, what do you think of what I've, you know, this strategy? And I think yep. 
you know, I think that's a fair question. It's like when I come to you and, mm -hmm. and we have a talk about investments, you know, we talk about and you go, well, why do you own that? And I go, well, I own that for this and this, this reason. Yep. It's, you know, you should always ask why. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And yeah. I guess if you're investing your hard-earned money, as yep. well as other people's hard-earned money, you yeah. really need to do your due diligence to make sure that yeah. you know exactly what you're getting into before you jump into bed with this person. Yeah, because you take it the 15, 20, 100-year approach. Yeah, and, and the thing is, and that's where a fund manager is different from a, an individual investor. An individual investor may say, um, I really like Reese, mm -hmm. or, um, and, and I want to own Reese, but you don't get that access to management, and you probably don't do as much detailed, in-depth analysis around the board of management, the accounts, yep. and the industry as a fund manager would do, because yep. that's our full-time job. Yep. Whereas quite often as an individual investor, you go and you do your day job, and you dinner with the kids, put them in a bed, and then you sit down and you're exhausted and you think, oh, I better look at my investments. Yeah. It's hard. When people do look for a new investment, something they commonly go to and something that everyone's got access to is the report to the company. Mm -hmm. So you spoke before about balance sheet, profit and loss, cash statements. Yeah, yeah. What of those three do you feel is the most important in a company when investing into the small cap space? Yep. We, we absolutely look at those three and we pull them apart and we analyse what not only the future looks like, but what the history looks like. Because the history will tell you what the future will be mm -hmm. and the history will tell you how the returns will manifest in that business and they help you to ask good questions. The one report that I think doesn't get read and I think it's my favourite and it would be the only one I would read if you wanted to open the annual report would be the remuneration report. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, I didn't expect that. Yeah. No. <laughs> and the reason I, I think it's vital is because as I was talking about it before, the board and the management team are two separate entities, yep. but part of the same business. Mm -hmm. But the, re the remuneration report essentially says, the board says, I want you to execute on the strategy mm -hmm. and I will pay you this. Yep. You go, I will execute on the strategy, but I think I'm worth Y. Mm -hmm. And so the number that comes out in the remuneration report is, is, is actually, it's like a, uh, a healthy tension where you agree to accept a number as the management team, yep. and I agree to pay a number as the board. Mm -hmm. And I think that means, and what we do is we go back and we look at what the, the remuneration hurdle rates were through time yep. to see what the company is telling us, what the board is telling us about how hard it is to run that business. Because if it's gone, you've got to get 14% EPS growth, and then the next year it's 10, and then the next year it's eight, and then the next year it's six, that's telling you the industry is getting more difficult. Mm -hmm. It's getting harder to run the business and grow the business. What does that mean about my view on the industry? And what does that mean about what PE I might pay for that business? What, what, and so it all links in mm -hmm. and it's a vital piece, I believe, because it helps them in a starting point where we can go to the board, we can go to the management team and, and you know, and, and, and say, why did, why did you accept 8% EBS growth? Right. You know, that seems too hard to me. Mm -hmm. And they go, oh, no, I think I can achieve it here and I can achieve it here and this yep. is an option. And so I, th I think it's a really great point to help understand what both parties think is a reasonable growth rate for the business. And most companies won't give you guidance. Most companies won't tell you what they think their long-term growth rates are. Yep. The REM report tells you that. Yeah, okay. Right, so it's a really interesting piece of information. And now I've told everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Go and look at it if you can find it. Um, so one thing that probably everyone thinks about um, 
when it comes to these small cap stocks. So yep. you've got anywhere between 100 mil, $3.5 billion. And yep. when someone is well remunerated mm -hmm. and paid well, they're less likely to be a bit of a cowboy. Mm -hmm. And that's the issue you might find with some of these companies that are small caps. Yep. Um, they might be aggressive. Um, they might not be as aggressive. They might be more conservative, which is what you like. Yep. Um, but there are horror stories that come about in the small cap space yep. because of the volatility in these companies, yep. because some of them go too hard. Yep. Can you share with us some of the horror stories that you've seen in businesses or even in the industry that people need to look out for? Yeah, well, look, I mean, the, the, the thing is, being in small caps means you're probably not as well known. Yeah. And what it means is you're probably not as well covered by stockbrokers mm. and researchers and so forth. So, um, you know, I, I joked about the Wild West. It's not really like the Wild West at all, but, but there is the scope for you to potentially tell a story in a small cap space that actually may be a little Pinocchio-esque. Mm. And so what that means is that you can create a hype or a, uh, a sort of environment around your stock price that means that maybe there's not as much substance to the claims and you can drive the share price higher and sell some of the stock and, and there are owner's interests at play rather than fund managers yep. and shareholders' interests at play. So in other words, you've got to be very careful around the people you trust, mm -hmm. around the industries that you think you understand. And the example there being, um, you know, if you are a doctor and are medically trained, you probably understand bio, biotech and those related products. I'm, as I said, the son of a butcher from country New South Wales. So I always try and think about things in a very simple way and understand it as, if you have a, re a very unique medical product, mm -hmm. then I can look at that product and I can understand it and I can try and dimension the market. But if that product needs FDA approval and the risk is that you will get a yes or a no, and I sit there and go, I need to protect my investor's capital, it's a bit like going to the casino and putting it on red or on black. If it turns out that they get FDA approval and it goes boom, happy days. But if it's black, then you lose a big chunk of your dough. Yeah. And so there are a lot of instances in small caps where the product is unique and different and potentially can explode in opportunity and mm -hmm. you can make a lot of money. Yep. There are opportunities where you can uh, say, no, I won't take that. I'll sit back, I'll wait until the, the product is commercialized, and then I'll be an investor. Yep. Because there'll be revenue, there'll be mm -hmm. costs associated with that, there'll be profit, it'll turn into cash, yep. and I can back to what we had said previously. Yep. And then there are uh, 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 companies uh, where you know, clearly, uh, in some cases they were financial stocks, Babcock and Brown, Allco, these were hugely fast-growing financial services businesses that were backed by assets that had valuations that didn't support the underlying business and both exploded. Yep. And so you tend to get a lot more train wrecks mm. in small caps. Yeah. And so having a manager that's able to sort of step back and go, I trust that management team, I don't trust that management team, because capital protection is is paramount. Mm. And, and, and sometimes, as in the case of, and it's a it's a big cap, but CSL, the the blood uh, wasn't always a big cap. No, it was a small cap. Absolutely yeah. right. But it's over three hundred bucks a share, right? But you could have bought that at thirteen dollars at its low point. Now, let's say you missed the low point. 
It's a great business with a great market opportunity that's really well run, that's continued to grow. You could have bought it at 20 bucks. You could have also bought it at 50 bucks, right? So people who go, oh, small caps, I've got to get on or otherwise I'll miss it. No, 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 no. Be patient, yep. be calm, worry about your capital. If something is a fantastic and brilliant stock, it will continue to outperform over a long period of time because it will penetrate a market, it will grow volume, it will grow price, and it will make you a lot of money. So being the first person in the queue for the iPhone 20 might mean it's got a few glitches, you know? So you don't have to be the first investor yep. into a story, is what I'm saying, because yep. you, you can dust your dough. That patient approach is, is huge, and that leads us perfectly onto the investor type. So in investing in small cap space, if there was an average Joe on the street, what would you say that, what's his, What's his typical personality or his yep. investor type to invest into small cap stocks? Yeah. Well, small caps is uh, a smaller allocation of your total asset allocation. And this is where you know investment professionals like you mm -hmm. are worth their weight in gold. Because you sit with an investor and you actually say, this is your requirements. These are the things you need. These are the weightings you should have. And I think today, you can't do without that. So then effectively what you say is, I want to give some money to small caps. And the time frame that, that investors, that you would be thinking about is, you should invest for at least five years. I think seven to 10 is how I think, because yep. I'm a long-term like yep. holder. You want to invest in stocks that will grow faster than the big cap mm -hmm. market. And you want to access um, industries that you can't access in big caps. To be honest, there is no average Joe. Every single Australian investor should have small cap exposure because small cap provides a ballast against, a, a little growth opportunity against the big cap mm -hmm. space, and it provides diversity to your portfolio. Because remember what I said before, the top 12 stocks are 50% of the big cap index, yeah. right? You wanna play around in the 2000 stocks mm. that have that make up the small cap market, there's a lot more opportunity. And, and, and there's logic to say, as you pointed out with CSL, it was a small cap. It's a massive company today. Mm. You know, there are lots of companies that started as small caps that have exploded in growth. And as an investor, you've been able to ride the wave to long-term wealth creation, which is what it's all about. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So this has been a really interesting conversation on small caps. The amount of markets, the amount of companies that you can invest in in this space is a lot larger than the larger caps. And there's a lot more hiccups you can find. That's why when you focus on the company reports, when you focus on the management team, and when you focus on the actual industry, you can really start to do well. So we really hope you enjoyed this this conversation. Um, Paul, thanks so much for coming on, mate. Mate, thanks for having me. Uh, who would have thought a boy from the country, son of a butcher, um, would be so smart and start investing into small caps. <laughs> <laughs> if you've got any comments, feel free to leave them below. Thanks a lot for watching and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Investor Types Podcast. What I want to remind you is that everything you heard in this podcast is general advice only. Please don't consider it as personal advice. If you do want to consider, consider it as being personal advice, please go and speak to your licensed financial planner. Everything here is just informational purposes only. Take it as you will. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks again for tuning in. See you soon.